Our scripture this morning comes from several passages in Proverbs. You can find the references in your worship guide. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. All right. Um, my name is Harrison. If I haven't met you, I'm uh, associate pastor here at Hope Chapel. And if you're new with us, uh, we've been going through the book of Proverbs uh, from the Bible. And Proverbs, this book focuses on the wisdom of God and the nitty gritty of our everyday life. It answers uh, how do we handle our relationships, our conflict, our words to one another, our decision making, our families, our work. And ultimately, uh, these Proverbs describe the path of God's wisdom, starting with the beginning of the path, certain decisions or choices that we can make in our lives, and then the end of the path, uh, the real benefits those choices tend towards in a world that's designed by God and ruled by God. Proverbs goes as far as to say that God's gift of wisdom is our way back into the Garden of Eden, to life as it was meant to be, to shalom, that we can actually taste that in our lives, so we must seek it with everything we have, like precious treasure. Now for uh, those of us who have been here for the series, um, we've gotten some questions from a couple of folks uh, wondering uh, sort of what do we do with this wisdom? A lot of Proverbs is describing these choices and the end of these choices, and maybe you already feel like um, you don't measure up in all these various areas of your life. And these Proverbs are making you feel a little more so like that. Um, maybe they add shame to an already decent amount of shame that you carry. I just don't make the right choices. Maybe you already feel a huge burden to do better, uh, and these Proverbs pile on top of that burden. Or maybe you feel like, you know, these Proverbs just really aren't the full story. There's a lot of people who I know who tried their best with their choices, but they don't see the benefits in their lives. Maybe because they started way behind with their family of origin, uh, they were in a system that benefited some more than others. They had mental health issues, that uh, chemicals in their brain that make it hard uh, for them to do life. Or, or maybe the, the color of the sk- their skin or the gender somebody has all means that people in the world respond to them uh, more negatively. And, and you want to say, hey, Proverbs, it's just not that simple. Um, life, our outcomes aren't always determined by our choices. So what do we do uh, with this teaching? 
In our tradition, uh, we believe that each book of the Bible God's given us offers something uh, unique, and we want to preach the whole counsel of God to you, so we preach through all these different books of the Bible. And as we do that, um, we emphasize exactly what that book emphasizes, which is usually kind of a narrow and unique um, emphasis. For instance, the the focus of Proverbs isn't going to be the same focus that we get if we were going through the book of Romans or maybe going through a gospel. But as we give you the, the teaching of each book, um, we also want you to help you connect it to the rest of Scripture. Um, how does this fit in with what we know from other places? So if you're feeling like today, like, man, I just don't measure up in these areas, and you're feeling shame before God and others because of that, um, the Proverbs themselves and a lot of other Scripture would, would tell you, actually, um, that feeling is right. Um, you don't actually measure up. No one does actually. Um, not, no one is living a truly wise life. But uh, that's not the end of the story. Uh, there's a God who looked at you in the midst of you not measuring up, in the midst of your foolishness, and he loved you. And he left heaven and came and gave his life in place of yours, that you might be saved despite your sin and despite your shame. He fully accepted you as a free gift that that shame might be taken away And you did nothing to earn this. Other paths in Proverbs that we can take that are opposed to wisdom, we talked about the naive person, the foolish person, the scoffing person. All those paths can be accepted and loved in Jesus. They're just called to trust in him. We have all identified as each of those people, the naive person, the foolish person, even the scoffing person. And if you felt that during this series, um, look to Jesus. Because his grace is sufficient even for you there. So if you've been feeling an overwhelming, crippling burden to to do better, um, that you might be loved and accepted, uh, let me invite you this morning to lay that burden down. Proverbs does not want to add to it. You need a more attainable way in with God. Uh, It's not doing better. It's a free gift of Jesus. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light, he says. So once we are fully accepted and loved from this free gift of Jesus, we place our faith in him, we actually receive the Holy Spirit as a gift too. A member of the Godhead comes to us and lives in us and causes us to be reborn. We're made a new creation, frees us from our bondage of sin and gives us freedom to live a new life. We're still sinners and we fall into sin, but finally we're not in bondage to that sin anymore. Uh, We're able to make a different choice, is what that means, to turn from our folly and to live wisely. It's actually what we're saved for. And we're motivated to do this not mainly by fear or shame, but by love for the one who loved us, by wanting to be like our Heavenly Father. And as the Proverbs emphasizes, we're motivated by the beauty of what God is calling us into and the good ends of the path of wisdom, the tangible benefits of God's better way of life. And so as those of us who have already been made right with God because of Jesus, as those of us who have already laid down our overwhelming burdens, as those of us who are now free in Christ for once to live a different way, this is where the Proverbs come in. What exactly does that different way look like in the nitty-gritty of your life? That's what the book is answering. Not how do you get right with God, not how do you finally prove yourself worthy, But what does God's wisdom look like for you in your real life? 
Now, there's another book I want to mention right next to the Proverbs, uh, Job, which tells the story of the wisest, godliest man of all his time. And he loses everything, has all of his income and his children taken from him. Even his body is riddled with disease for a long period of time. And his friends come in with some Proverbs. And they say, um, Job, the reason you're suffering is, must be because you've been unwise. You're experiencing bad things from God, the end of these unwise paths. But we know from the book, the real reason Job is suffering is actually because of Job's wisdom and godliness. He was chosen by God for his wisdom for this kind of suffering. This emphasis of this other wisdom book is that there's trials that God puts even the wisest people through. This means that not every wise person experiences regularly the benefits of wisdom that are described in the Proverbs. There are also other books like Psalms and Habakkuk and other places that focus on the suffering that can come from the injustice of a fallen world. The Bible knows well there's a lot of things you can't control in your life that can take away your shalom, can hurt you deeply. The Proverbs know about trials, knows about injustice, and it mentions them. But it doesn't emphasize them because this book's main focus is on our choices in response to the hand that we've been dealt. It knows we've all been dealt different cards from the Lord. The question is, what are you going to do with the cards the Lord's given to you in your life? And how will the decisions you make impact your future in a world made by God and ruled by God? One main message of Proverbs is that the Lord is with those who are in Jesus and endeavoring to live wisely in his ways. This means the path of the wise tends toward flourishing even against all odds, even in a fallen world, because of the Lord. The Proverbs are not hesitant to describe that reality. And remember, if you've read the book of Job, even that ends well for Job, because of the Lord. So I hope you will take with you from the series a very practical picture of what a wise, redeemed, uh, spirit-filled life in Christ actually looks like with your work, your words, your relationships, and that you would, uh, because of the great love with which God's loved you and a longing for the ends of these paths of wisdom, that you would endeavor to embody this in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's uh, sort of the, the hope of the series in a nutshell. And uh, today, we have the exciting privilege of talking about money. Um, This is not one of the sermons I was most excited for in the series. Um, Money can be a very sensitive topic, uh, one where, again, like these other ones, you may feel significant shame. Maybe some of us, because of the sheer amount that you have uh, compared to others in the world who don't. Um, I felt that myself here in a country where we have 30% of the world's wealth and 4% of its people. Or you may feel shame at not having as much as others around you. You're not able to afford all the activities that others are doing. You don't want to invite other people to where you stay so they'll notice the differences in how you live versus them. Or you may feel significant fear at one day not having enough money. And you're fighting for survival. even feel that today. I've felt that simultaneously with the guilt I feel to being an American. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Or this topic could be one where you feel distrust. Um, I've got some money, but others might want it. Is the pastor going to tell me to give more, put pressure, lock the doors back there, turn up the heat? 
Um, if you're wondering that, uh, first thing I'll say is Proverbs doesn't really talk about giving to the church. Um, Paul does in the New Testament uh, another time, but our topic today is um, more about giving to the poor, is more the focus. Um, and God knows uh, we need help with this money thing. And honestly, you don't need any guidance from me. Um, I don't have this figured out. I don't have great opinions on money. Um, we need guidance from the Lord. So that's what I'm hoping to focus on today. And for those of us who are feeling shame in here regarding money, I just want to remind us again before we dive in of the gospel truth. That your feelings of not measuring up with money are true. That though you might be financially rich in here, some of us, Jesus says you are spiritually poor on your own. You've likely been stingy, selfish. You've overlooked the suffering of the poor. You've been given much from the Lord and not given enough in return. But there was a man who was richer spiritually than anyone. And he saw your spiritual poverty. 2 Corinthians tells us, Though he was spiritually rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, might be, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This means that you as a beggar have been given a massive spiritual down payment through Christ's death in your place. And now you sit accepted and loved by God based on Jesus' spiritual generosity credited to you. So the whole story of the Bible teaches that despite all of your failings with money, that you're, if you're in Christ, that you are a beloved child of God, even still, and a member of God's family. And so today, imagine uh, as a child of God, God the Father sitting you on his knee and saying, son, daughter, whom I love, let's talk about this thing called money. I wanted to get 100. I couldn't find one. I got 20. Just I wanted a little more weight to it, you know, with the inflation. It's like, this is not, you know. Um, God's, imagine God saying, hey, I'm going to lend you some of this. Let's talk about how we and our family think about this and use it in the world. Not to earn my love, you already have that, but let me teach you how this can bring about your flourishing and the flourishing of others. And as he teaches you, he gives you two big picture lessons. Having more than you need of this, having more than you need of this, does not lead to more shalom for you. First lesson. Having more than you need doesn't lead to more shalom. If I give you extra of this, use it to help others. Two simple things. Having more than you need of this doesn't lead to more shalom. If I give you extra, use it to help others. Before we dive into these Proverbs, let me pray. Father, would you be with us this morning in this area of our life, Jesus, that you said um, is the, the root of many kinds of evil. Uh, Lord, it can be so deceiving for us when we, uh, money comes in, the, the deep needs that we feel like it can meet. Uh, teach us your wisdom, God. Um, show us your ways and give us the power by your spirit to, to live those ways in the midst of a world and culture that does the opposite. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So having more than you need of money does not lead to more shalom. Have you ever taken the time to imagine what it would be like to win the lottery? Think about it right now for a minute, if you haven't. How, how would you think you would feel today if you won? This uh, would be you experiencing, in one moment, the end of the path of pursuing great wealth. I think uh, the lottery is an important phenomenon uh, because people who get the money get it fast enough to remember what their life was like before they had the money. 
There's a lot of studies and articles that you can Google, actually, uh, that talk about those who have won the lottery and the changes they describe in their lives are not really what you would expect. Winners, obviously, at first are pretty excited, but the next thing they share is the stress they begin to feel in the weeks after winning. If other people hear you won, uh, suddenly they're asking you for money. Your family, your friends, close and distant, start reaching out, hey, would you help me with this? Investors start hounding you. Uh, Charities start pursuing you. This all brought to them pressure and stress. In the midst of that, they reported these once stable relationships they had started to change. Suddenly, there's a lot of conflict in family and friendships that never had it before. Why won't you help me more? Suddenly, uh, there's a lot of people who want to be your friend, uh, interestingly. They said, uh, you you might want to help, but the winners noticed that they were no longer viewed as people, but as means to an end. Pretty significant loss in life, the loss of true friendship. Many winners got divorced, had their families split up because of the money. Articles specifically lamented the single people who won, who suddenly had a lot of suitors, uh, but could never find a spouse that they truly felt like loved them for them and not just for the money. And people who uh, wanted the winner's money, uh, some people didn't ask them. Uh, A lot of winners were robbed. In the midst of that, winners have been poisoned and shot for their money. Those who did survive all this onslaught and turmoil uh, often developed what psychologists call sudden wealth syndrome. They stopped working, started living mainly for pleasure, and became overwhelmingly bored and guilty and got addicted to all kinds of substances. Because of sudden wealth syndrome, many lottery winners died by suicide. All of this leads one article to conclude that if you actually take into account the real experiences of those who won the money, it would be far better to tear up your ticket if you won and go back to the good life you already have. The first teaching from God in Proverbs is that more of this does not lead necessarily to more shalom. The end of the path of riches is not the heaven most people think it is. There are upsides to money for sure in the Proverbs. Uh, If you remember back to the Sermon on Work, having enough money, having a well-fed family, a good stable farm to pass down to your kids in an agricultural society, was an often mentioned benefit to the end of the path of following wisdom with your work. And this meant that God views what having what you need financially in life is part of your shalom. It's good. It's the tree of life to have shelter and food and transportation and savings and stability. But these other verses say, once you've reached that threshold, don't be fooled. More is not better. So let's look at what God's describing the complicated end of the path of riches, which I think matches up with these lottery winners' experiences pretty closely. Uh, The first complication that arises is this first proverb here, 13.8. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Uh, Lottery winners have been poisoned and shot. Uh, But this proverb's noticing, who's going to do that to a poor person? They have no money or or possessions to protect or maintain. They have no target on their back. This means uh, there are many ways in which a poor person, because of a lack of stuff can have a safer, simpler life than a rich person. I'm not saying there's not other threats to a poor person's life, but in terms of uh, there's no ransom. 
So this also applies to smaller things with us. I wonder how much stress in your life comes from protecting your fancy stuff. You might upgrade one day to a newer, fancier car, pay a lot for it. Suddenly, after reading your manual, you find yourself watching it weekly to protect your new paint. You start stressing about people's shoes in on the carpet. No one's eating in there for sure anymore. Uh, you start parking it far away and have to walk a long way so you don't get dinged. Your son borrows it without asking, brings it back, huge scratch down the side. Your entire month is ruined. The poor man does none of that work. Isn't stressed about his car. His clunker gets a ding, doesn't even notice. Too many other dings around it. Doesn't mean, Christian, that there's a command that you can't get the nice car, but it does mean wisdom says don't be fooled. More money and nice things doesn't necessarily bring more shalom for you. Second complication, on top of that one. Uh, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. 19.4. So if you take the, the first phrase alone, it seems pretty positive for money. Oh, new friends. But if you take them both together, it's saying, oh, there's friends that are only around the wealthy for their money. They come in droves when you have it, and they desert you when you don't. These are no friends at all. Money complicates your relationships. Third complication mentioned here is a lack of satisfaction. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. 2720. So these two places it mentions are, are places of the dead. It's, it's the grave, in other words. Hebrews view the grave as never being full. It consumes every life of every generation and needs more and more and more. And this is what the eyes of man are like, God is saying. You can never have enough. You will never be satisfied with money. Uh, there's been really interesting studies that show this. Uh, the amount of, person, amount of money that each person desires for their happiness is typically about 10% more than what they have. No matter what economic bracket you fit into. How much is enough? Just a little more. Then I'll be happy. Do you know that even the richest demographics feel this? Money creates a want for more, but no satisfaction of that want. Fourth complication, uh, worse than the other three that we mentioned, is money can make you prideful. Uh, Proverbs 28.11, A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. 16.19 the Bible is clear that it's a really dangerous thing for you to become prideful, to feel that you've mastered your life, that you're better than others around you, that you deserve special treatment, that your opinion matters more than everyone else. And riches create this illusion. Jesus is clear it can be really hard to access the kingdom of heaven from a place of rich pride. Harder, in fact, than a camel going through the eye of a needle. There's more shalom being poor and with a lowly spirit, Proverbs is saying, than being rich and prideful. Fifth complication, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall on his imagination, Proverbs 18, 11. This is saying that money can give you a false sense of security, like a high wall around you. Riches can make you feel like nothing can touch you, like you finally made it. But then these other Proverbs come in, uh, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. 11.7. 7. 
Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 11.4. Money seems like a high wall, but these are saying the grim reaper climbs right over that, and your money can't save you. It won't protect you from death or from the judgment of God. You can't take your money with you to the next life. And if you could, you really can't bribe God. He doesn't show any partiality. So God's saying, don't forget, this money is pretty useless in the face of your biggest problems in your life. Your sin, death, and judgment can't save you from those. So given all this, uh, the wise know, after getting enough for their needs, more money doesn't bring more shalom. It brings complications to life, more risk and stress, relational challenges, a lack of satisfaction, more pride, and it isn't helpful in all the areas God's most concerned with for us. This means that the Proverbs mention there are many things in your life more valuable to you than this, which you would do well to note. Uh, Listen to these Proverbs. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 15, 16. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. 15, 17. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. 16, 8. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. 19, 1. God is saying in these, the fear of the Lord, love, righteousness, integrity, These things are worth more to you than money. They bring you more shalom. And this leads to God's final command for us, given all this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. In a world where everyone wants to spend their lives hustling to become millionaires and billionaires with hopes of reaching some kind of heaven on earth, the wise are not deceived. They see through the facade. They look to God who has revealed the end of that path and they see it's just so much more complicated than these people know. It doesn't bring more shalom. So they know when to desist and say, I've got enough. Thank you. They work for their needs and then they know when to stop. And they look to Jesus, not to money, for the deeper needs that money can't give. Security, satisfaction, comfort, heaven. So I wonder, uh, what, about, what about you? What about me? Do you find yourself hustling for a lot more than your genuine needs? Do you find yourself dreaming about a life with 10% more than you have? How similar is that life that you dream of to heaven in your mind? Some of you may genuinely need more. But these Proverbs are saying that some of us in here are probably fooled. You may be working tirelessly towards a false heaven of riches. And what you need most for your best life right now is not more money, but it's the wisdom of knowing when to desist. You could be working towards a life that's actually harder to access Jesus from. You could be working towards a life with more risk, more complicated relationships, less satisfaction, false security, and arrogance. And God is saying, do you want that? What if your best life is already accessible to you today? It's right in front of you. Enjoying what God's given you rather than always seeking one stupid Amazon item that God hasn't given you. 
What if you repurposed all the energy that went towards pursuing riches, towards pursuing the God who gave you them? It's a better life. It would look like praying Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Uh, this person prays, One thing I ask of you, deny it not to me before I die. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, once you have what you need, this money doesn't bring you more shalom. This is God's wisdom. Sitting in his lap, we hear this. We receive it, not to earn his favor, but to bring about flourishing in his world. Second thing, God says, number two, if I give you extra of this, uh, use it to help others. The second biggest group of Proverbs is about the poor and the wisdom of giving away money to, to them. And this makes sense, uh, given that the first teaching from God is actually more of this isn't that helpful for what you need. Uh, so the excess money I give you should go to help others to meet their needs. And one major takeaway of these Proverbs is the deep care the, the Lord has for the poor, for those he has made uh, who are actually not able to meet their needs. Proverbs 22, uh, 2, the rich and the poor meet together, the Lord is the maker of them all. Another major takeaway is that God blesses those who use their money to help the poor. Uh, listen to these Proverbs. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. 1917. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. 1125. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. 1124. Whoever gives to the poor will not want... But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. 28, 27. Now for some, for some of you, if you're like me, uh, prosperity gospel flags might be coming up. Whoa there, Proverbs. Are you saying, if I give away $10 today to a poor person, um, I'll find $1,000 in my mailbox tomorrow sent from heaven directly? Or if I invest regularly in this church pyramid scheme, I will grow to be a multimillionaire with a mansion like my pastor. Um, and be able to afford designer t-shirts uh, like him. If you're new with us, this isn't that kind of church. Um, the prosperity gospel heresy, we would say, uh, misses the whole first point of this sermon. Excess wealth is not heaven. Going towards shalom in God's world is not the same direction as going towards the wealthy American dream. Having wealth is so much more of a letdown than God's true shalom. So if you're looking for the secret to getting filthy rich, it's not giving your money away to the poor, uh, or to our church, for that matter. But what these verses are saying is, in God's world, it is not a loss for you to give away your money to the poor. It is not true to reality that those who hold on to their money will be wealthiest in the end. That thinking neglects one key element to this world. The maker of the poor rules this place. Even in a fallen world, he controls where the money goes. In his world, these are saying, you will notice someone who gives freely and yet has no want. And someone who holds on to their money tightly and stingily and somehow has a lot of want. That's no accident. You will notice someone who gave a lot of money away sacrificially and then came upon hard times 
And it was like they lended to the Lord because he met them mightily in their low place. That's no accident. On the other hand, uh, you'll notice someone who repeatedly ignored the poor, who came upon hard times and were not met by God there. That also is no accident. Or even worse, you'll notice someone who insults and oppresses and kills the poor, and they are found one day dead in the ditch. That's no accident. Listen to these proverbs, more, more so warnings. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. 21.13 Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob the life of those who rob them. 22-23 Proverbs is saying, The maker of the poor rules this place. Act accordingly. Factor that into your budget, your choices of money. Now there's a lot of other places in scripture that talk about the exceptions to these norms. Sometimes the wicked do flourish for quite a while. Sometimes the righteous suffer want. And there are reasons that God might allow this for a time. But God wants these exceptions to be confusing to you. He wants you to feel like they don't fit in to his world. Because he wants your normal mode of thinking to be, child, if you give this to the poor, you lend to me. If you water others, you yourself will be watered. If you give freely, you will grow all the richer because of me. And if you oppress and rob my people for long enough, your life will be robbed too. This is the typical experience of what it's like to live in God's world. Such that the exceptions should make us pray psalms to God like, what is going on up there? Here's my favorite money proverb. Uh, Proverbs eleven ten. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. So because the excess of the righteous are going to the poor, when the righteous do well, everyone does well. If they get a raise, the poor get a raise. If they get a new tool, others get access to the new tool. If they get a vacation house, you get a vacation house. So everybody cheers for them. Everybody celebrates with them. Their gain is our gain. This is God's world operating as it should. But when the wicked, the stingy, the oppressor does well, everyone's angry. And when they die, people celebrate in the streets. I studied these Proverbs in seminary, and and when I came upon this one, I was working as a server at a restaurant. And uh, at this restaurant, it's Brio, kind of similar to to Bravo, um, the brother of Bravo. Um, as a, as, a, as a server, it's, the, it's the, a, a slightly um, more expensive one, which I, I, it was really good for me and for tip-wise. Um, same food, though. Uh, <laughs> um, as a server, you would get tips, and it was up to you to tip out the bussers a certain percentage of what you brought in. And now when I got there, I noticed some servers would do this, and some would not. Some would uh, give less than the percentage, or they wouldn't give at all. And this created, as you would expect, a ton of conflict and mistrust. Uh, some busters stopped cleaning uh, certain servers' tables. Um, food stopped getting brought out. Things got tense. Um, so when I came upon this proverb, I decided to do a very little experiment. Um, my spending was low at this time. I was a single person in my 20s. Uh, the main busters were immigrants. They had big families and were super underpaid. Um, I had a lot more need than I did at this time. Uh, So I decided to start tipping them more than the given percentage each night to follow this proverb. 
And I don't want you to think too highly of me. This was not a lot of money. Uh, this is like a few dollars. I had my own fear of debt and survival kicking in during seminary. Um, it was a small thing, but it didn't fit into the system at this restaurant where everybody's looking out for themselves. And after I started doing this, without really like mentioning it, just doing it, I noticed uh, some changes that I didn't expect over time. Uh, they started treating me, the bussers started treating me a lot differently. Uh, they got paid more when I got paid more. So they started bussing my tables immediately. Um, so fast. Uh, when the host was away from the host station, they would bring people to my section, uh, which they weren't allowed to do, and I had to take them back to the, the host station. Um, when I, my section got overwhelmed, uh, they would step in and get waters from my tables, grab plates, do things that uh, bring drinks over from the bar, things that they don't normally, uh, it's not part of their job description. And it soon became clear to me, um, they wanted me to thrive. They celebrated when I did well, because it meant that they were going to do well. And honestly, uh, giving t- more to them was not a loss for me. I actually made more money total as a result of it, I'm sure. And even better than a few dollars, they were warm to me and asked me about my life. They asked to hang out outside of work. I made friends. And that meant I had a lot more fun working. Because it wasn't every man for himself, it was a team. A little proverb experiment, experiment, uh, what if others thrived a few more dollars more if I did better? Now imagine if I had been more sacrificial in a more Christ-like way, 30%, 50% to these immigrants who had so much need. What might have happened then? Imagine if I was working with a bigger budget than just pocket change, a budget like you or I have right now. Imagine if I did this not just in, in one way a few nights a week, but with many people who have deep survival needs over a lifetime. And now imagine it's not just me doing this, but a whole community of people, everyone in this room, committed to using our excess for the flourishing of the poor in our city. This is the beauty God is calling us to in Proverbs. It's the wisdom of desisting when we get enough for our needs and then using the power of our excess to bring shalom in the life of another who does not have it. The ruler of this place is their maker. With us sitting in his lap, he promises, giving this away will not be a loss to you, not in my world. It's a gain. You give to them, you lend to me. I don't forget about that loan. I will water you. So this week, let's enjoy the enough that many of us have and dream of how our excess can help others. Amen.